Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello and welcome to the penultimate episode of Rugby World Cup Weekly as we look ahead to the big one, the final. It's an old rivalry renewed as three-time champions New Zealand take on fellow three-time winners and defending champions South Africa. It's a fixture that always, always gets the blood pumping, so don't expect anything different come Saturday night. Joining me tonight, I have a true all-star panel of guests with both finalists represented and it is credit to them that they came on at short notice as well, I should say. Firstly, giving us a neutral eye proceedings and will give us less of a neutral eye on the third fourth place game near the end, Ben Nurse. So welcome back on, Ben. Hi, uh, thanks for having me again. It's always good to have you. And in the green and the black corners, respectively, returning to the airwaves for the first time since the previews, we have Harry Jones and Jamie Wall. It's a pleasure to have you back on, lads. How's it, Kaelin? Thank you, Kevin. Awesome to be talking to you again. It's it's good to have you on, lads. And in the circumstances, it's definitely better on, on year-end as well. Could preview in a final. Harry, yeah. I'll start with yourself because we're recording now. It's it's Thursday evening here um, in Ireland. So first and foremost, whereabouts of the nerves uh, as we speak? Uh, I mean, seven parts of me feel really confident, but one part of me is uh, up-chucking. Hey? <laughs> so we know uh, we, you know, obviously with the underdogs, uh, All Blacks are always the favorites in every match they play. Um, but this is, you know, one of those 50-50 matches where you can kind of imagine anything happening. Um, and it feels like this World Cup is waiting for one really big thing that that blows everyone's mind. So, yeah, that one part of me is is a, a little bit jumpy. Yeah, that's understandable, considering the, how the proximity we have to the game. Jamie, you weren't the most confident when we spoke back in August, but surely now, 80 minutes away, you have to have at least some bit of confidence that it could be 
couple of your time. Yeah, you're on mute there, Jamie. Sorry. Sorry, sorry about that. Uh, yeah, I was thinking back to the last time we talked, and um, just trying to probably have to eat eat quite a few words that I that I said back then, <laughs> uh, in, a, in, a, in a good way, in a good way. Uh, I'd see uh, Harry's obviously taking the underdog status at the moment, but to be perfectly honest, everything you said, I could probably just say the same thing and put an All Black uh, name to it because the no one really thought that the All Blacks would make this game. It was a very odd feeling uh, as an All Black fan. And then to make it through and to make it through the final and to get here and play against our oldest, greatest rivals in, in a test where really you don't know what's going to happen any time you play the Springboks. So for this to happen in the World Cup is really, really special. I'm really looking forward to it. It, it is finely balanced in that regard. And we, we have a matchup that, Obviously, we've seen 1995, but we haven't seen it in the final since. And that adds a layer of intrigue in and of itself. South Africa are probably always the talking point up here. So we'll we'll start with them. Um, I promise, Harry, we won't go and talk about how we need to get rid of scrums. Don't worry, you won't get that on this on this particular Irish podcast. <laughs> but they've had they've had a decent tournament, like they've impressed probably every week until the England game, I think it's fair to say. So what have you made of, of their tournament overall, but also their year kind of growing towards this this showpiece weekend at the end of October? Yeah, so I think it's an interesting tournament from South African standpoint. Um, probably unusually, and maybe even unexpectedly, the England win was one of my favorites because it came, uh, it was purely on gas, on spirit, on soul, and nothing seemed to work. You know, it was... It was a heavy weather Leicester Tigers match. Um, the coaching uh, staff really showed alacrity in putting people off exactly at the right moment, and every single substitution worked. Whereas other matches in the tournament, you know, there was there was margin for error. You know, Scotland didn't really show up; they melted in Marseille. Um, the Tonga match was physical, but that's always something if it's unfocused that doesn't bother the box. It's that focused um, escort lines, battalion approach, Borthwick uh, burying himself in a blanket of, you know, just uh, ball blazoning uh, aerial bombs, you know, that kind of stuff. That's what has always actually traditionally bothered the Bucks. It's the Welsh semifinal in 2019. Um, it's the, the Irish earlier in the tournament, 13-8. That's the type of thing that actually bothers um, because I don't think, you know, we're patient enough. Um, so I think the English match was a chastening one. It's the one that the, the coaches probably like it because then the, this whole week they can say, I told you so, you're not so great. And then everyone's listening. So that's the, that's the one thing I would say. But overall, I would say the, the box continue to do kind of data mining analysis kind of rugby where strange formations were tried four scrum offs in this one, one in that one, um, you know, who can play multiple positions, um, trying to find out, you know, basically how you mix and match. Uh, and they were unafraid to do it in the World Cup and keep doing it. Uh, it took some really big chances. So I think uh, it was more the same for Buck fans. It's been somewhat frustrating a year ago in the Welsh series. It was extremely frustrating when you had 14 new players and sort of throwing a match almost at home where Bloemfontein fans could have a reason to bitch, but uh, it all seemed to culminate in this tournament where you finally saw, now now we see 
that everyone had to be interchangeable. It's three deep. No one is in, no one is indispensable. You could u- lose Lourdes You could lose Ukanya Am, and it didn't seem to matter. The one thing I would, the caveat to that is I would say it did matter at 10. I think Hodre Pollard shows you what a absolute ball-hanging, ball-smashing, uh, big gorilla looks like in a World Cup because he came in and just didn't seem to care. He could give two fucks. When he came and did that line kick to the five, uh, that could have gone horribly wrong in the rain. Um, and then at every single juncture, he was, you know, was, he was leading the team. And I almost started to wonder if the kind of humiliation of not picking him and having him as 33A sitting there twisting in the wind was part of a lesson that no one's above the team. Um, the only one above the team is Rossi, of course. But uh, <laughs> no, like every, every, all the players. And I, I think that's what I got from this is that the battle-hardened team, equal minutes, uh, Etzebeth has been a little overplayed and maybe Peter stepped to Toy, but no one else. Um, kind of ready to go. But like Jamie says, who knows what's going to happen next? Nobody knows. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the, I suppose, the, the big part of, of finals. You actually don't know what's going to happen. We preview to death and continue to tune in for the rest of this, of course. But you don't know what's going to come up. And Jamie, like from, from your perspective, South Africa, it feels like they've grown into it. They were certainly given the respect by Ireland and by Scotland and by England and by France. Eventually, good teams just find a way to get it done. New Zealand are no different. We'll talk about them in a minute. But that's kind of the theme of South Africa's World Cup. Good teams just get there eventually. Yeah, well, I mean, <clears throat> with all due respect, it has taken a while uh, for them to get there. We saw this sort of tinkering with the bench and the selections uh, that have happened, you know, way back. From our perspective, anyway, back in, what was it? June or August or July or uh, when they played at Mount Smart and they came out with their funky bench where they picked the reserves <laughs> on to start and they brought their guys on after, you know, half time and it was too late and then they sort of got it right at Twickenham and now they've sort of, they're still, you, you kind of get the feeling that there's, it's just a constant alchemy that's going on. You know, Rassi's got his whole persona that he needs to keep up and, and, and obviously it's, it's something that South Africa and fans have clung on to quite quite heavily. I'd I'd love to know like exactly how widespread um that whole that all is because from my perspective or from New Zealand's perspective, they all think he's a he's a genius. And don't get me wrong, he's obviously a great coach. Any any guy who can motivate a team uh, to go out and do what they do is is a great coach. But I, I just I just wonder how many South Africans actually buy into the the method to his madness, if you, if you know what I mean. Uh, and so that's been a fantastic narrative uh, to, to go through. But, like, the proof's in the pudding. He, We're talking about a World Cup final that the Springboks are in, and, and it's great. And the fact that he's got there, or that, that they've got there, uh, by constantly changing things, by thinking ahead, is, is quite cool. You know, like, it, it just goes to show that uh, the, you know, there's no tried and true method uh, to, to test rugby. Uh, yeah. You know, because the All Blacks, I guess you could say, have kind of gone the other way. I know we're going to talk about the All Blacks in a minute, but that victory over Ireland was was built on kind of going the opposite. And and that, you know, it's just let's keep everyone, it, it, all our key players on the field as, as long as possible. Whereas the Springboks have gone, ah, oh, no, let's start hooking guys at half time. Sorry, at, at, after half an hour in a, in a World Cup semi final. And so it goes to show that both things work, which is exciting. It's exciting. Like, who knows what's going to happen on 
on Saturday just in terms of like what players are going to come on and win. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the benches. And I've said it the whole way through this tournament. It's become a 23-man game now more than ever. When we talked about Ireland, South Africa, for instance, the bench was so important. Ireland, New Zealand, just given Irish examples here, but even South Africa, France, and how people thought, Jesus, after taking off Khaleesi after 40 minutes, that's a huge <clears> mistake. <throat> but Quadra Smith goes out and tackles everything that moves. And it eventually, his fate is, is paid off. And New Zealand, as you said, Jamie, kind of gone about it a different way. They've rotated when the time was to rotate. They've kept their big players on the pitch for as long as possible. You could question, you know, are they as much of a 23-man squad as, say, people said Ireland and France were. But then at the end of the day, New Zealand are trusting guys who've been there, done it. If you're asking Aaron Smith to go 80 minutes, he's got two World Cup medals. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, part of me is wondering why on earth NZ Rugby have let Aaron Smith go. He's playing just as well as he as he always has. I think he could probably keep going till he's about 45 uh, at this rate. Uh, you know, I don't... I. Honestly, don't think this this is the end of his all black career <laughs> coming up. Uh, I, I, but yeah, you're right. It, it it just comes down to it's almost it's kind of funny because you you kind of perceive South Africa as being the old school and the All Blacks being the new school, like over over history, and they'll kind of swap roles going into this. You know, the All Blacks, like if we're up to them, but they'll keep fifteen guys on the field for the entire game if if they're ahead. Whereas South Africa are more about like, nah, we're going to just completely flip the script at, at some point in this game. So, yeah, interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Ben, I might get you in here for this as well because New Zealand have been one of the teams that have, like, they're, some people wrote them off. Some people said they were overhyped. You know, no one seems to have a proper read in them. From your neutral perspective on things, what have you made of New Zealand's World Cup so far? Yeah, I was talking to someone about this earlier, about New Zealand losing their mystique. And I agree to a certain extent, they've lost some of their mystique from the glory years of 2010 to 2016. But I don't really know what that means because they they still win games. They still win games by a lot of points. They're still fairly consistent. So I don't know what, I don't know how they regain their mystique. Maybe a lot of it comes down to Saturday night, but they're still a team that no matter what you do in preparation and no matter what you can do on the pitch, they can still be any team in the world on their day. So I don't know. I, I don't know what, what makes this New Zealand team different from the one that we saw sort of 10 years ago, but it's it's still a team that is going to compete at every World Cup and it's still a team that can beat any team on its day. I think that's the, the beauty of it in so many ways, Harry, because... We talk about how South Africa have been there, done that. They've won a World Cup. New Zealand's most important players have won a World Cup as well. And it's very rare in the game. I think you probably have to go back to, I, I don't even know how long, maybe um, 99. No, not even. I, I Has there ever been a final where you got so many World Cup winners on the pitch and that could literally define how it goes? Yeah, before the before the tournament started, I actually did a, a color by color schematic of all the teams, and it, it jumped out at you that the black and the green had more uh, prior uh, cuppers, two, so two cuppers and then three cuppers, as I played them. I got a four copper too. Um, but that that idea of having been there, you know, the idea like John Smith says, having been in the dark room and knowing where the light switch is. You know, Sam White Whitelock knew which ruck to attack at the end to get the whistle. 
um, Faf de Cleric knew which bowl to rip um, exactly how and when. And that, that type of, you know, under the hot lights. I mean, look, for me, New Zealand, the All Blacks, um, they have they have athletes that can just do things that others cannot do in those moments. Ari Savea can, can just power through a tackle and then another tackle, another tackle. Uh, Mark Talea cannot be found. I mean, he has some sort of invisibility cloak in tight spaces. I don't even know how that guy slips those tackles. Those things are just true. And so in those moments, Richie Maunga can put uh, a foot on the gas like no 10 in the world. You know, there's, there's little things like that, I think, that you, you see. But maybe more importantly to me, the All Blacks have um, just kept growing in the tournament for real. Like, I think they, they just kind of marched up. I don't, they were loading. I'm not sure if someone was putting lots of um, reps on them, but they just seemed to get, you know, better as the tournament went on. So, yeah, I mean, there's just no way around it. They know how to win these things. You know, a lot of crusaders in the team as well that, you know, do that every year as well. So maybe to Jamie's chagrin. But, um, yeah, they, they're proper killers in a tournament. Yeah, absolutely. And that's... We're going to say this word about 1,700 times over the course of the podcast, but it's just the intrigue. There's so many talking points. We're going to start with probably the the lesser controversial starting team, our 20 match day squad anyway. Jamie, New Zealand, just the two changes at 23, Retallick in for Whitelock, and Nepal Alala comes in for Fletcher Newell on the bench. Now, people may remember we touched on uh, New Zealand's props and their improved scrummaging. When, when we spoke before the tournament, granted, Lolala isn't coming in to start, don't get me wrong, but definitely a, a talking point considering, you know, they're going up against Ox and Che and it's going to be very important whoever comes on in that role. Yeah, obviously you saw how important the scrum or how crucial uh, the scrum was in the Springboks England semi-final. Uh, so I feel like this is obviously something that they've, done a lot of analysis on and figured that Nepo is probably less likely to drop his knee or his elbow to the to the turf in a crucial moment, which, you know, I'm not going to tell you that I know more than the All Black coaches right now, but uh, to be honest, like the, the changes that the, the All Blacks have made are pretty cosmetic. Uh, Retallick coming back in was always on the cards. He was always going to start uh, in, a, in a World Cup final. Um, the one... The one change that I am still kind of scratching my head about because it doesn't really match up with our our narrative of the way the tournament was going was Samasoni Takiyahu coming back onto the bench in place of Dane Coles. We thought that firstly Coles was playing, you know, good football. He's a veteran. You, you want him out there when when the shit's gonna hit the fan, if you know what I mean. Uh and Takiyahu was after like a really breakout season last year was going to be um, sort of a head fallen away a little bit. Uh, Cody Taylor had obviously been playing some great football uh, and that Coles was <coughs> going to get this moment to finish his career because of course he's retiring uh, after this, after this World Cup. So that's the one I'm still kind of scratching my head over because it doesn't really make much sense. Um, in saying that though, the rest of the All Black team is, is, is as, as predicted, you know, Opposite, again, opposite of what the, the Springboks have done. So uh, not not a particular amount of surprises. It's been telegraphed since, you know, back when they played their first game of the season. Yeah. And it, to 
for, for people who may not have seen friend of the pod Hugh Griffin did an, a good piece breaking down both sides and how their selection has kind of been shaped you know South Africa as Harry said previously have kind of gone for guys who can plug and play in every position New Zealand have molded a 23 over the course of this year and the end of last year they found what they wanted and they looked really well gelled especially in the last two games in particular Harry on that New Zealand 23 I suppose putting on the springbok cap what would you be looking out for there because obviously our mind always goes to Will Jordan and Mark Talley and guys like that but they're more than just that they're more than just two or three players they are a very dangerous team probably from 1 to 23 they are. And actually, this vintage of the All Blacks has actually never been bad on the attack. When you go back and look at 2010 to 2017-ish, that, that you know, glory day, heyday, the, the aura, the mystique, it's the same statistics on attack right now. It's the defense that's different. Uh, it was harder to score tries against the old All Blacks, and these All Blacks do leak. So immediately I go to the midfield and say, even while Jordy Barrett and Rico Yanni are and fantastic athletes, and Mark Talley is a wonderful attack. On When you can turn them and, and their soak defense, because they soak up a lot of tackles, they chop, they don't come hard. They're not stinging you like a lot of defenses and certainly not like the, the buck defense. That's an opportunity. That being said, um, Bowden Barrett, who I've always called Bowden, Bach, beating Bastard Barrett's five Bs, uh, he's kind of back, right? So he, he's, he's, he's actually covering up a lot of ills. Uh, Damien is slotted in there to come in as well. And he's always troubled the box when he can keep the ball in his hands. So that that's there's problematic there. But I would think you would have to, as a park, you'd say, put them on defense because that's a highly attacking team. And the one the one chink in the armor is that they've leaked more points than uh, than the, the top all-black teams of history. Um, the other thing is, uh, I would say that, that midfield looks like a real cataclysmic clash between Jesse Creel, Damon Delende, Rico and, and Jordy Barrett. And Jordy Barrett is, uh, like I said, you know, I think in schools he was a, a crash tackler, but he, he sometimes goes for that. So I think there could be some subterfuge there, some, some opportunities. Uh, in the scrums, I would think there's nowhere to hide. You can never hide because of the bomb squad from scrummaging. So you can't just have your best scrummagers and then a decent ones. The decent one gets found out. So I would suppose that's one area. Um, but as far as the rest, I mean, my God, what a... What a lineup. And uh, Dalton Papali getting the start. I thought, I, I actually, Jamie, I was wondering if it would be Blackadder coming there. Um, it's just odd maybe that he comes back in. He just seems designed. He's such a work great guy. Um, and then Sabasoni, you would think on the line out, that could be something because John Klein as well as RG's in. Uh, so, you know, even the, the second off hooker has to throw it against two towers. Uh, um, so that would be something you'd look at. And, and maybe I trust Dane Coles more on that throw at 78 minutes. You want to weigh in there, Jamie? Yeah, yeah, I 100% agree on the, obviously you've just said my piece on Colsey and, and why you want experience out there at the, at the 78th minute. But, I mean, to me, it's interesting you, you brought up the midfield um, battle because I've always thought that those guys are just kind of cancel each other out. You've got very similar players in, in Jordy and and Delende. Jordy's for me is obviously got the offloading uh, ability and 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 probably a couple more strings to his attacking bow. Whereas Delende is very much a 
I mean, I, I don't want to say he's a one-dimensional player because he's obviously he, he's fulfilling a role that they they want him to do. Uh, but and, and and you know he scored scored a really nice try in that um, quarterfinal. Uh, but he's just a big physical presence that they want to be just moving up up the field. Whereas Geordie just kind of has that ability to maybe counterattack a little more and, and things like that. And and Jesse Creel and Rico again very like similar players, different body shapes and everything. But I think that if either of those two departments can start getting an edge over one another, then, you know, that might yeah. make or break. Um, I, I really, I really do think that, but in saying that though, I mean, I had a look at the stats um, the other day and, and, you know, just confirmed what I, what I was remembering, which was, which was good. Is that, uh, you know, these are two high scoring teams when they play against each other. If they want to win, you, you know, uh, Jackson Nenabar has come out and said that they have to score at least 30 points in their last five tests where they've beaten the All Blacks. It's been, they've had to score 31 points in order to do it and those are close games uh as well uh the all blacks when they've been beating the Springboks, have been scoring 28 so I, I you know we can talk about what's happened before in this in this tournament we can talk about what's happened before in the season we can talk about what's happened before over the last three years but really when these two teams meet each other and this is the same thing going back over history they turn into different teams they save their best for each other they play their they they have the ability to turn into you know, the, the Springboks, who we think are a kicking and, and scrummaging a t- team, turn into a running team. The All Blacks turn into a conservative team. That's that's just the way it goes, and it always has over history, and, and that's what I love about this rivalry. It's hard to know if New Zealand South Africa is the definition or the antithesis of styles make fights, because we always talk about it being one way, and it does kind of go the other way sometimes when you think of the more memorable games in particular. And you just love that as as a as a neutral. I'm not fully neutral. I'll I'll throw that out there as a monster supporter with Sean Plain and, and Orgas Neyman. But as a neutral, that is what makes games like these all the more intriguing because there is just that element of well, if Fran if South Africa turn it on like they did against France, we're in for a much more open game. But there's no better team for an open game than New Zealand, who showed that against Argentina and to a degree against Ireland. Then at the same time, New Zealand tackled everything and made no mistakes against Ireland. And that was another factor of that game and and so on. We'll move on to the South African team because 1-15 to 15 is probably as expected, but they've only gone and done it again. They've gone for the 7-1. Kobus Reinach and Manny Limbach drop out of the match, match day 23 altogether with Fafta Clark and Andre Pollard starting. The previously mentioned Munster's own Jean Klein starts on the bench as does Orgay Sneeman. There's a return for Jasper Visa and for Trevor Naikane as well. And last week's game changers, changers Orgay Sneeman and Oxen Che are on the bench. Again, probably going to be asked to do a similar role. Well, South Africa will be hoping they'll do a similar role, I suppose. Harry, so much being made of the 7-1, but even if you try and remove yourself from that, it is still a very good South African 23 even if they do have that risk slightly being taken. Yeah, so you can put a form, uh, you can make a configuration of 15 players out of those 23, and you can fill every position, of course, except if Faf de Klerk breaks a leg. Um, and then you have to do some shuffle. Uh, I don't think anyone actually feels that uncomfortable with Justin Colby playing at nine. He played a lot of nine coming up in his career because he's shaped like a nine. And everyone said, you're a nine, you're not a, you're not a wing. Uh 
but he's played 10 in uh, top 14 and, and he plays nine. And when he played nine at the test level of football, he was fine. So it's the seven one's not really about that. The seven puts a lot of onus. The seven one puts a tremendous onus on Quacha Smith and a guy like that. Quacha Smith has to be able to cover a uh, variety of positions. The other thing that it does is that it, it says more about your starters than your finishers because the starters can empty the tank knowing that it doesn't matter. So you get you get you know you get the full angry at even at Sabeth you get the full ride of the props because no one really cares, uh, and it's just you you're just no someone's up in the box actually monitoring your battle stats and then you get pulled when they slip, so it's it, there's a self fulfilling prophecy there of, of frenzy, um, so All Blacks have seen that done that they've been around this thing you know they know exactly they've been able to study it, I suppose when the biggest the most curious position or the thing that jumps out is Jasper Visa. Because he isn't uh, a multi-skill uh, tool. He's a battering ram. So it tells me that down the stretch at the very end, they wanted ball carriers and they wanted game managers. So you can have Andre Faf and Vili on the field get managing your game, but you, you say goodbye to Thor and you bring on Jasper. You say goodbye to Ibn, you bring on RG. You, you know, so you can like keep slotting in big ball carriers uh, and then you have the speed carriers like Quaha. Uh, so I suppose it does say, like Jamie says, that the, the, the perception is that you must score a lot of points. But unlike some teams who, who would throw in more backs, South Africa gets quicker ball and scores more tries when it has uh, the, the right people up front that allows finally uh, Arensa and Kolbe to actually find the edges. So it's sort of a different way to get mismatches. South Africa says, Rugby is all about mismatches, so we will artificially create those with a 7-1 bench. New Zealand is almost super old school. Everyone really is slotting into an actual position uh, with maybe the final, with the exception of maybe Bowden Barrett being able to float a little bit. A little bit. But everyone else has a proper position, and they think they can find the mismatches just because of physical prowess. Um, so that, that's how I see it is is – like Jamie says, the the magic number. I think internal circle, internal. I've always been told twenty three is the magic number. You cannot beat the All Blacks when they go above twenty three, and if you think you can, it's between twenty three and twenty eight that you're iffy. Above that, you're gonna lose every time. So yeah, there's a perception for the bring, the block camp is this is a high scoring match. The one caveat to that is it's gonna rain. So I don't know what that means. You know, I don't know. New Zealand has always been good at handling in the rain. Um, the box are not so much. So let's see what the weather has uh, in store for us. The weather's the great leveler is the term that's used across across all sports. And it's not to say one team is better than the other, but it's certainly a factor because you look at last weekend, how New Zealand, even though it was raining, just everything worked. And you have games like that. But as you said, they've always had that skill set. They've always been able to do it. Ben, like you look at South Africa, like again, so much of the headlines would be seven one, seven one, seven one. But at the same time, like if you're getting sixty minutes of Clasey and Etzebeth and these guys at their absolute maximum, Ireland struggled to maintain it. France couldn't. Scotland couldn't. Like there is a reason why they do this, and it's not just to cause a bit of a stir online. Yeah, it's it's that buzzword, that concept we've been talking about. Harry talked about it is people that have been there and done it. And that's what scares me about this spot team they've picked for Saturday. And what would scare me if I was a Kiwi is that 
the one thing that I thought was holding this Bok team back before the tournament from just walking through the whole tournament and winning it again, apart from Ireland and France, who uh, no longer with us, is is that been there and done it. They didn't have Pollard. Some guys from four years ago weren't at their best. People like Faf, who now are at their best again. And <clears throat> they've got all that back in. They've got they've got all the boys from 2019 playing at their best again. And they've got Pollard back in. And compared to New Zealand, who are probably in the best place, their best place team to counteract that concept, they've not got that many guys from 2015 still playing, I guess, at their best. They've got a few, but... With the seven one, I, I guess it, it, it's 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 horrible to counteract. But I wonder how much of a calculated risk it is. I wonder how much they've analysed and researched what would happen if two of our backs go down early. How would Cheslin or I've seen Quagga Smith do with sixty minutes at scrum half, and then someone else either in the centres or on the wing? Oh, it it it's so unlikely. But how would it go if that happened? And, and I guess part of me really wants to see it. But if there's no injuries in the backs and it all runs smoothly, I guess it is just impossible to counteract. Little, a little bit sadistic there, Ben, to say you want to see <laughs> shit hitting the fan. Minor injuries, minor. <laughs> okay, that's that's fair enough. We'll allow that. So FAF plus one, because obviously they don't have a recognised nine. And that, that would really make things interesting because you know what? I've seen teams do well without their nines. Every once in a while... In, in rugby, um, eventually you see these things. Jamie, again, you know, I asked Harry about what scares them. I know it's easy to say, well, you know, it's a big South African team. They are more than that. So from a New Zealand perspective, not just your own, but general in New Zealand, what are what is the New Zealand public and pundits talking about as where South Africa could potentially hurt you? Oh, well, we're just still getting around our heads getting our heads around the fact that um, the All Blacks are even in a World Cup final. We, we had all planned our lives around the fact that they'll be getting bounced in the in the quarters. Sorry about that. Uh, so <laughs> It's fine. I'll, I'll get over it in about three it, to it, five years. <laughs> uh, oh, it's good to see you five years. So, you, you, well, they're going to go out in the quarters again? <laughs> in the next one? We, okay. we don't know the new format. Uh, it's, yeah. Well, I mean, history says. Uh, sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> uh, it is interesting that you guys keep uh, talking about how all oh, the All Blacks have come right at the right time, and uh, like for me, you know, and for the rest of the country, it's like, well, it's about bloody time they did. You know, like, this is a new experience for us to be uh, looking at a team and going like, okay, you've peaked at, at the right time of season. We're used to them, you know, being at the top level the whole time. And the fact that they weren't, you know, the fact that they've had a real roller coaster ride going into this, and the fact that they they were going so well throughout the rugby championship, and then just bombed out so badly at Twickenham, lost that game uh, in Paris. Just FYI, that uh, that was obvious. That game at Twickenham was obviously the the worst loss the All Blacks have ever had. Um, the the net counting when you factor in the next game at Paris, that's actually the first time the All Blacks have ever lost two games in a row by 13 points or more. Uh, it's also the first time they've ever lost two games in a row in the Northern Hemisphere. <laughs> like, there's, there's all this yeah. unwanted history that the All Blacks have been creating. And I think that that, because like you, you know, we can talk about the Twickenham game and, and, you know, how the teams are different and 
you can't really take him into any account because it was a while ago. But I think the fact that that the All Blacks again created another chapter of their history that they don't want to have by uh, losing as much as they did, I think that's playing on their minds a little bit. They want to rectify that. Uh, and they want to do it in against a very similar team to the one they played talking about. And, and obviously they've they've picked one. It's not the same bunch of guys, but it, it, they're coming out uh, in a way that was, I guess, uh, field tested against the the All Blacks in that game. You know, that's that's what the the message is here by by, by this team that they've the Springboks have selected, uh, and they want to, like I said, rectify what happened at Twickenham by going out and, and winning that. So it's not so much for me a an on-field thing. It's it's, it's, up, it's upstairs, you know. It's, it's like we want to prove ourselves that we, that all the people who wrote us off after that game are wrong uh, because that's what it feels like so from inside the All Black camp. It's like they're, they're kind of – it's us against the world, but it's also us against New Zealand because, like I said, when New Zealanders were expecting the All Blacks to win all the time and when they don't, we just – Oh, you're rubbish, you know, and and that's the way it's been feeling, and and the the build up to this game has been very much, uh, oh wow, okay, didn't actually expect this to happen. Which says a lot about New Zealanders as fans, because we're terrible fans, we really are. Like as soon as things, <laughs> as soon as soon as things start going wrong, we'll, we'll we'll just lose all faith and go watch cricket. But I I think though that this group has has sort of harnessed that. Um, mentality that's uh that they need to prove themselves in this which is which is a very un-all black thing to do because the all blacks are the most proven team in the world and it's a great point as well because it's it's just never been the case we've never had to say the new zealand have to come out and prove themselves and if you want to throw out a buyer beware to south africa new zealand would have the exact same mantra when they played ireland the only irish team to win new zealand soil and look at how that redemption arc went. They had one of their, like I genuinely believe that was one of the best New Zealand performances in years. Never mind just under this team because everything went right. It was a coaching and playing masterclass. And that's kind of, it's it's new for the All Blacks, as you said, to be to be playing under this kind of new mindset, but it's working, you know? And that's that's never a bad thing when, when it is working in that regard. And, I suppose, Ben, the kind of just moving on to kind of every conversation is where it's going to be won and lost, but that kind of question mark, like you got the questions of set piece versus attack versus defense versus whatever, you know, conditions, maybe goal kicking. Where do you see this game being won and lost, first of all? Um, and before we get into predictions. Oh, I'm happy you came to me on this first because I feel like I'm going to steal the other two answers because it, it, it surely has to be the scrum. That's where South Africa beat us, and it's 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 sort of a cliche to say it's it's their strong point, but it it just is with the props they have. Like I've never looked so intently at a set of replacement props as when they're playing South Africa, because that's just such a big such a big factor when you play South Africa. Um, I think New Zealand, unless a miracle happens, they will be avoiding all scrums like the plague if they somehow can get an upper hand in the scrum if they've worked something out midweek then I think they'll surely win the game but as I say yeah that, that'll be where the game's won and lost for me set pieces there's there's a couple of people who would not agree that the set piece is as important as it is but 
I can I can proudly say that I I do love a good scrum as much as the next man, provided the next man loves a good scrum as well. Jamie, that scrum has been taken off the board. You can take it if you want. Where do you see it being won and lost in in either direction? Oh, it's interesting. You know, Ben brings up a, a good point there about the scrum because obviously it was the deciding factor in the the last semi final. But I also think it it, it could kind of it could kind of mean everything or mean nothing because if you look at that Irish uh, game, it wasn't a factor at all, and it was one of the areas where Ireland really dominated the All Blacks uh, in their series win last year, and it was one of, sort of area of concern uh, going into that quarter final, and then it took. I think it was half an hour for the first scrum to happen. And then in the second half, there was not that many at all. It was just so one, it was, I believe, from the Omahani knock-on, I think. I think so, yeah, yeah. And and uh, so, like, like I said, it, 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 you know, it, it could be a massive factor. Uh, and don't get me wrong, like, the box have a obviously very, very good scrum. But I, I do have the feeling that uh, Lomax and DeGroote have matured themselves into being, I wouldn't say like absolutely world-class, like bolted on World 15 members, but they're certainly capable of holding up um, the All Blacks because they did it uh, at, at Mount Smart. You know, they, they there was a lot of concern over that that match as well and, and going in and the All Blacks completely proved everyone wrong because by absolutely dominating uh, the key areas of that game. Um and saying that, you know, you mentioned the weather before, man, it might get a little bit slippery underfoot. And, you know, a lot of those scrum penalties are a real roll of the dice. But I I, I can't, I, I'm not as concerned about it as um, I, I would have been maybe earlier in the year, to be perfectly honest with you. And and to be fair, it, it is something you've said before that Lomax and Degu have just stood forth and been, they look seasoned. You know, they look like the 30-year-old prop who's just going to lock out. And that's all New Zealand need as well. We're not asking for New Zealand to win penalties. If they lock out and get good ball for Smith and Mwanga and Barrett and, and so on and so forth, that'll do. Because that's where they're... That's what, they, that's what they've always tried to do. Just get it out, play quick ball. Harry, I'll come to you for this one. Like, obviously, set-piece is going to be a big talking point. Is there anywhere else that you can see could potentially sway the game? Yeah, I mean, like, you know, in my heart of hearts, I think these these teams are less dissimilar than, than people say because when you look at it a different way, I mean, Rico, I, Rico Ani and, and Jesse Krill do have some similarities. Louis LaRue and Rico have similarities in how they celebrate after matches. Um, you know, there is a there is a bit of a similarity in how the wings play in that they're so slippery, especially Talea and Colby and, and Aronsa. Balimsa is very much like a Bowden Barrett, a, a young Bowden Barrett. Um, he loves to counter. He loves to counter, and he's got incredible speed. Um, when you look at the packs, those are properly constructed packs. Uh, he has some generational talents in there. You have a, a guy like Peter Steftatoy. He's just – he could be a Kiwi. You could just look at him and say, that could be a hardworking blindsider for the for, for Kiwis, for the All Blacks. Um, so in a way, I'd say – it's moments that seem to always turn this rivalry. It's like big moments that then blow out. So sometimes you'll see, you'll see a scoreline where someone wins by 10 or the other way, and there was nothing in it. So I think this match gets won by, you know, 12, 10 to 12 by the All Blacks or by 6 to 9 by the Springboks. But up until 60, it was 
it was drawn. It was, it was nothing in it. Something happens, an intercept, um, a, bu- a, a bouncing ball that goes the wrong way. Um, the dangers for the All Blacks, really, to be honest, are cards. They get carded too much. Um, they get carded once a game. Um, and, and that's happened in this tournament too, whereas the Bucs have got only one card. That's going to be a killer. Uh, but if, what, but what if they don't? Then suddenly, you know, it's, it, maybe it's different. The second thing is the line out. I think, uh, I think that the, the all black line out is always underrated until suddenly you, you just cannot throw into it. Um, so you couple the fact that you have one hooker and then maybe you have Dion Free throwing against, uh, Twin Towers and trying to get to the back or having to, you know, to do special line outs. Um, yeah, I, I think the first 20 minutes is going to matter a lot for the All Blacks. I think the Springboks have shown they can crawl back into a match. Even at Mount Smart, they did a little bit. Whereas it seems like to me that if the All Blacks don't start well in the first 25 minutes, uh, they're in a world of hurt this time. I mean, you go back to the quarterfinal, for instance, and South Africa were always... They looked like just as as the minutes went on, they came closer to controlling the game. And once they got control, that's when they squeezed the life out of France. And France had to try and come up with answers to questions they had never been asked. And that's one of the parts to it. You know, it's it's one of their great strengths. South Africa is seeing out games. One of New Zealand's great strengths is putting the foot on your throat and not letting you breathe in a different way, entirely different way. Um, ben, I'll come to you first for predictions. Usually you don't go to the neutral person first, but I'll go to you first. Who do you think is taking home the William Wabellis for the fourth time? Um, I genuinely think it'll be flip of a coin um, or two or three flips of a coin. As Harry said about it'll be a moment or moments. It'll be two or three moments. I think back to like the Etzebeth half intercept against France and then uh, Curly Aronzer regathered a kick that wasn't cleared up by France as a 14-point swing. That was a huge moment in that game. And there was loads more um, later on. So I think it'll be two or three moments that will win it. Um, If I had to choose, I'd go New Zealand by two points. Two-point World Cup final would be (laughs) to say the absolute least. Harry, I'll come to you. Um, you've you're claiming underdog status. Jamie's claiming underdog status. But I'll let you go second here. Who do you think is is going to be the first four time champion? Uh, I think the Bucks take this, and I think it's not based on anything in this tournament so much as the these two years. I feel like there's something a little bit different. I think when I look at the actual depth of experience, um, the ability to just handle things, but I still think it'll come down to a moment of madness. I'm picking Spiders LaRue to pick off an intercept from Damian McKenzie, run it to the house, and then a bonus drop goal by someone we don't expect. Jesse Creel drop goal, box by nine. If there's a Jesse Creel drop goal, I think we should all start <laughs> revoluting or Venmoing Harry <laughs> the price of points because that would be something extraordinary in a World Cup. By, by, by accident, like he's not even trying and it goes over. <laughs> That, that would take some effort. Jamie, you can go all the way in and say that we're going to have a, a Sam Whitelock drop goal and go all the way in, or you can just give us a normal prediction if you want, whichever way you want to take it, mate. Well, I I have to be honest, I love all the, what Harry just tried to predict there, and I love this rivalry, this this fixture, 
more than Harry loves a selfie. So I, <laughs> that's a I, lot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm, but I'm to be perfectly honest with you guys, like, and this might sound very weird, but I don't know if New Zealand, the media, the, the, the public, the rugby public, the general public is actually going to be able to deal with the kind of world of shit that's going to come if the All Blacks actually do win because <laughs> of what's gone on in the last three years and what's going to happen next year. And the fact that Ian Foster was effectively fired, you know, like let's not beat around the bush on that. And that Scott Robertson is going to take over what has been heralded as brave new era and he's going to come in and you know we've got eight players leaving and he's he's going to make some sweeping changes and the entire perception of the all blacks is set to change under his regime except the guy they just got rid of just won them won them a world cup and in new zealand i don't know i don't know whether this happens in other countries but it means he's automatically knighted as well so we're going to have to call him sue ian foster after you know, maybe, maybe three weeks ago, being like, "Are we even going to let this guy back into the country?" Uh, I, I'm still kind of getting my head around that. So, uh, in terms of of a prediction, like I, I, I'm, I, I still, I think it's going to be a high scoring game. I think it's going to be the highest scoring World Cup final. That's my solid uh, prediction. But in terms of a winner, I think the All Blacks take it by one point, and both teams are going to score thirty point thirty points plus. That is, yeah, thirty points plus on Saturday night. There, there's, there's much worse things to be doing with your time than watching a World Cup final <laughs> that has sixty, seventy points scored in it. Then that's for sure. So I'm gonna stick with the prediction that I made at the start of the tournament. I'm gonna say South Africa. I originally predicted we beat South Africa, France beat New Zealand, then the two pool B sides would get to the final, and South Africa would win it. So technically, if South Africa win, I'm only off by one. So second, we'll go for that. <laughs> but I can't call it. I'm I'd be saying less than five points either way as well. I think it is going to come down to a moment. And do you know what? It's been a while since we've had a World Cup final go down to the last minute. So why not? Why not this one? When it when it's not us, <laughs> I don't want to win it myself. But if it's someone else, <laughs> that'll do. Um, we'll just quickly talk on the third fourth place game with yourself, Ben. England go into this kind of with nothing to lose, but if they come away, it'll be successful. A couple of players last games, you know, Ben Youngs, um, Courtney Laws, and a few more. Do you think they'll get it done? And do you think this will be successful if England get over the line? Finally, we're done talking about that irrelevant game and we can talk about <laughs> the main event. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, um, I, I like the team selection. It's a lot more exciting. We've got guys like Aaron Dullin. We've got Marcus Smith back at fullback who, who loves a big moment, loves a flash of lightning. So, yeah, it would be very, very sad come final whistle, uh, no matter the result, because obviously, as you said, guys like Courtney Laws, Ben Youngs um, are going to bow out, which obviously is really sad, and you, you'd rather do that at a final than a, in a third-place game. Um, you worry about if we pick the exact same team that played the semi-final, if the motivation levels would be there. Like, if I was a guy in that position, would I would I be able to get up for a game after losing the semi-final? So it's nice to see some some new blood in there. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think it, it it'll be a tense game. Um, I don't think either side will run away with it. 
And I think it'll be an interesting game uh, to see how Borthwick wants to play um, if he keeps the job for the next four years or so. And it'll be an interesting game to see if if Checker wants the job for, for four years or so in the future as well, I think. I won't lie. I don't want to see a tense, tight game. I want to see open, <laughs> expansive rugby that finishes 50-all and justifies no other televised rugby at the exact same time. Well, Steve um, Borthwick is our coach. I would as well, but we have we, we have the Leicester Tigers coach, so I wouldn't yeah. dream on it. <laughs> There's that side of it as well. Um, Harry, Jamie, just your quick thoughts on this one. I'll start yourself, Jamie. Who do you think just taken third place? Well, I, I like it how Ben uh, described the English team as more exciting because, like, honestly, watching my lawn grow was more, more exciting than what I watched last week from a New Zealand point of view. I'm sorry, I, I have to say it, but the general view from down here was that 70 minutes of that game was just fucking shit, man. Like, I, I don't know what you guys think rugby is, but, like, it's not that. Like, not for us anyway. Uh, don't get me wrong, like, England did really well to get to where they were. Uh, and I think that uh, given the the turnaround, you know, as someone who can sort of uh, appreciate, like, a team that needed to step up when it counted, uh, I think they probably deserve um, to finish to finish third. In saying that, I you know, obviously, like, I've got a lot of time for Argentina. I think they've, they've battled away against the odds in a... In a, in a system that's designed to not help them, um, uh, so but I but I honestly think the Pumas just have more firepower. Like when it comes down to it, if you want to see a game where tries are getting scored, like the Pumas are the ones uh, to do it. They've got really good, exciting players, and I just it's been so long since the anyone outside of Owen Farrell and the English backlines touched the ball that I don't know if they know what to do when they get it. That's fair. Harry, I'll come to you finally. Ben mentioned potential, you know, semi-final hangover could could apply to both teams, really. How do you see it going? Do you think England will step up? Do you think Argentina will will step up in this one? Uh, it's it's sort of the team of uh, repressed emotion, except when the other team doesn't knock on England versus the team that has no control over emotion, which is Argentina. I'm predicting at least six cards because of the ref, because of the, this exact ref, not because of anything necessarily happening. Uh, and I do think that there's going to be a lot of fireworks. I'm with Jamie. I think Argentina has been an up-down team, but they can really just score. Like, like they just have proper, like, amazing speed uh, and power. They have some people like Chocobaras who can bro- break a tackle and just run through you. They've got, you know, an amazing set of forwards like, and carriers. I don't think... Um, I don't think England um, can do what they just did again. Uh, you know, they might be a little bit spent. And also they had a lot of negative emotions around these court cases and the KC Richard Smith guy. I think maybe it's going to be a little bit of a turmoil and Argentina takes it away and, and Cheka, you know, Cheka gets his people to his guys to really play one more really proper game. Well, to their credit, Argentina know how to play some really good rugby. We've seen it at times. So maybe, maybe we can hold out hope that the third, fourth place game is just as intriguing as the final, or at least whets the appetite 24 hours early. Gentlemen, that's all we've time for tonight. But thank you so, so much for joining me and on late notice as well to some regard, because to be honest, 
you know, I, I didn't know whether we did know that South Africa and New Zealand would make to the final, but that's just hindsight. So thank you for coming on to to talk about it to Jamie and to Harry and to Ben as well for your contributions throughout the tournament. Um, I will link the lads' Twitter pages and and various stuff down below. So make sure to check them out. I'll be back on Sunday with a recap podcast of the final and the tournament as a whole. And what has been, I think the lads will agree with me, an unbelievable tournament of rugby in France. And with the best league, not the Premiership, not Super Rugby, already started as the URC. You can find me harping on about the champions of Munster on the Red Army podcast each and every week. So as always, as always with this tournament and with everything, thanks to everyone at home for listening. Thanks to the gentlemen of Harry, of Jamie and Ben for coming on. And if you like what you see or hear, please do subscribe to myself and to the lads. But until next time, enjoy the World Cup final and take it easy. Sports Social Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.